This morning we're talking about anxiety and it worries me a little bit. (laughs) We live in a society where more than ever, I think more than any other time in human history and existence, are we living with instability. I think in our society in particular, we think about simple things. A uh, couple of generations ago, you would not find people changing jobs as much as they do now. You know, how many of your grandparents or great-grandparents spent almost all of their lives working for the same company? Yeah? How many of you worked for many of the same company almost all your life? And I'm pretty sure that uh, the next generation will not be doing the same. There is a rapid change. In the IT industry, for instance, most people move and change jobs, not just within a company, but outside the company, for about 18 months is the general um, length of term that somebody spends in a job in the IT industry. But people move houses much more now than they used to. People can change cities, they change jobs, they change careers. Every time, though, people change jobs and they change careers and they change uh, companies to work for, they have to create and make a new set of friends, a new social network. This adds to the instability. We live longer lives now more than ever before, but there seems to be many more medical things that you can catch or develop than ever there was before. Does anyone notice that? Yeah. That's why it's called injury time. More and more people go to university these days and less and less know what they want to do at the beginning or even at the end of their university time. In fact, the statistic generally spoken about is the fact that everyone who starts university now will generally end up in a job that doesn't exist yet. We live in a time of rapid change and instability. We also live in a time where there are high levels of relationship breakdown. High levels of divorce. Actually, the interesting thing is the divorce rate is falling. Uh, However, it's not falling as fast as the marriage rate is falling. So, um, statistically, there's still more people getting divorced than married. So, every time that happens, every time a relationship breaks down, what happens? The network of friends is split. And the whole network is fractured. And support groups are carved up. On a wider scale, we have media like never before. Who would have thought 10 years ago that someone would commit the most cowardly, violent act in Christchurch and live stream it on the internet? It's ridiculous. And all these things, they add up to a fact, to, to the realization that, of course, we live in a society where anxiety is the highest that it has ever been. It is the primary mental illness that people in our society face. To our generation, I think more than any other, Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Anxiety is the primary mental illness in our society. Over 2 million Australians suffer from Mental illness. That's 6% of the population have chronic anxiety. That's 6% of you guys. And 25% of the population will suffer some form of anxiety, an episode or two, within a 12-month period. 
That's a quarter of you guys. It is the number one thing that we face. In fact, twice as many people suffer from anxiety in our society than they do with depression. And yet, it's funny, isn't it? Because generally, if someone talks about mental health, depression is the first thing that comes to mind. To mind. Get it? No. Depression is the first thing you think about. You know, isn't it? Beyond Blue and all these organisations out there to battle depression. Anxiety affects twice as many. So what is it? Well, the psychologists describe anxiety as a more or less constant state of worry that is out of proportion to what is actually going on in a person's life. Uh, here's what one person writes about their experience and how they understand it. Anxiety is, is, is really looking out for future, event, future threats and danger and worrying about everything that could go wrong. And it makes you feel very panicky, tense, on edge, breathing, racing hard. It's pretty intense, right? Yeah, I, I, if we had the, the openness and the, the ability to be courageous about this, I would ask for a show of hands as to who has experienced that kind of thing in their life. And I'm sure many of you would. When Paul uses the word anxious, it means, uh, he, he, he draws on a, a, a word picture that means to be torn up, to be cut in pieces. To be torn in pieces by debilitating fear and worry. That's what anxious means. Paul is not mucking around. He's talking about full-on anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, let me give a, a quick disclaimer. This morning's message is going to be 20, 25 minutes. If you are suffering in any way, if any of this feels right to you, if any of this relates to you, if any of this is your story in a way, then I want to encourage you to talk to somebody about anxiety. Whether it be your doctor, your friends, your somebody. If you need to refer, if you need someone to refer you to someone else, come and talk to me about it. Because we're going to cover some basic principles in this message that Paul outlines in the way he dealt with the anxiety in his life and how he deals with the anxiety in his life. And we're going to cover it in about 20 minutes. But this is, life, this is his lifetime of learning and practicing. We're going to cover it in 20 minutes. So if you're, if you're at all um, affected by what we say, if this all relates to you, then go and talk to somebody and begin uh, a lifetime of learning and journey. I've got some great pastoral counsellors, <coughs> Christian counsellors who, who would love to talk to you. And they will help you work through the things that we talk about today, the words of Paul and Jesus, and they will, un, they will, they will help you engage with those things and cover them in more detail and put them into practice in your life. But we are going to have a look quickly at Paul's overall approach and uh, see if we can't put some of them into practice. Now, before we go any further, I want to talk about uh, I want to outline for a moment what Paul says is not anxiety. What, what is Paul talking about? What is his vision for peace in your life? What is he talking about? So I've got two things about the character of peace. There's some good news and there's some bad news about what Paul is talking about. Let me give you the bad news first. Does everyone like bad news? Oh, let's put it to you. Do you want the bad news or do you want the good news? Bad news first. You're a morbid bunch. All right. 
Here we go. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Okay. Sounds like good news, right? But the bad news is that Paul does not say God is going to fix your circumstances. When Paul is talking about the peace of God, he is not talking about preventing situations in your life. He's not talking about calming the storms or healing the diseases or anything like that. Now, don't get me wrong. God can do that. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul says the peace of God is a guard, a protection for your inner heart and your soul. Look what happened to Paul. If you read through Acts from about chapter 8, 10, can't remember. Anyway, you'll find the stories of Paul. The journeys of Paul as he travels across from Asia and across into Europe, spreading the gospel. His one-eyed focus on spreading the gospel. But as it happens, he gets shipwrecked a couple of times. I don't know why he ever gets on another ship, but he does. He gets bitten by a snake. He gets uh, beaten up, thrown in prison. He suffers source of injustice. And even in one point, loses his closest friend because they have a disagreement and they part ways. He's been through stuff. And he must have asked God at the time to take those things away, to solve the problem with his friends Barnabas, to, to, to help him, help the ship survive the storm, to protect him from the snakes on the beach. But God didn't solve them. God didn't dissolve them. And that's up to God. And Paul still says, That he has a peace of God that protects his heart and mind through those things. So the bad news is, when we are talking about the peace of God, it's about protection, not prevention. Is that cool? Secondly, when he says the peace of God, it is about... So it's not about protection and prevention of life circumstances. What it is about is keeping you centered, keeping you stable. Look at what he says in Philippians 4 verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in living in plenty or in want. So I'm a visual sort of guy, so I like to picture what this looks like. So I brought my gimbal. So have you all seen one of these? I thought some of you may not have seen one of these because this is how I picture the peace of God. As I move and as things happen to me in life, it stays stable. You see? And the peace of God is is something I learned. Now this is a man-made gadget, right? Uh, So it's not perfect. It can be messed around. But a God-made peace keeps you stable and facing and upright the right way all the time. Is that a cool gadget? Do you like my gadget? I do thank God for a wife who knows I love gadgets and buys me these things. So, that is what peace is. It is a calmness within the storms of life. A stability that protects heart and soul. In fact, there's an... Oh, no, we won't go there. I was going to do some Greek, but we won't do that now. 
So what does Paul say? How does Paul suggest? So Paul says, I have learned the secret. How has he learned it? What can we learn? What can we develop the way he develops it and the way he's learned it? What has he figured out? I say there are three, you'll be surprised to learn, there are three practices of peace that Paul outlines in his texts. Now the first one uh, we've talked about already today is gratitude. Actually, we've talked about all of them today. But anyway, the first one is gratitude. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. If, if you want to have peace, says Paul, in every situation, then ask God about it. Yes. Don't just ask for what you need. Ask with thanksgiving. It's weird, right? Because normally we think, we, we thank God for something after we've received it. Yeah? Paul says, no, 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 no. The other way around. Begin in a heart and mind of gratitude. Then present your requests and prayers to God. So, uh, Rebecca talked about a, a gratefulness game uh, that she played at the ICO. Uh, and I want to just say that it sometimes, particularly for me, when I'm in the middle of a really tough time, and I don't know about what it's like for you, but it's really hard to think of things to be grateful for. Isn't it? Sometimes, in the past, I've had to go to a friend or a mentor and say, I don't know what to do. And they'll start listing things for me that I should be grateful for. You know? And they help me list things. I once did, a, um, I once did this in a... I think we were in youth group. And we had to list a hundred things that we were grateful for. Have you ever done that ex exercise? A hundred things that you're grateful for. And I, I was struggling. I was, I just... So a friend, we'd help, we sat in small groups and life group type situations and, and we talked about what each other should be grateful for. And once I got started, it was easy. It was easy. And it changed my outlook. So, I've got some homework for us this week, and I'm not even kidding. I want you to go home this week and make a list of at least 20 things, all right? Being easy, we're not used to homework around here, so uh, we'll go easy. We want a list of 20 things, bonus points. I don't know what points you're going to get anyway, but bonus points if you could do 100. What are the things that you're grateful for? What, what events, what people, what relationships, what objects, what things? Are you grateful for? Whether it be your mother or a memory foam pillow, they all are things to be grateful for. Yes? I only thought of that because my mother's here and she bought me a memory foam pillow. <laughs> Thanks, Mum. Okay, so after we've expressed our gratitude uh, and after we've understood our gratitude, and we're in that frame of gratitude. The next thing Paul says is, is pray and prayer and petition. Prayer and petition. Now, let me think about prayer here for a moment. How many of you know that God knows already the details of your life? How many of you? Hands up. Do you know that God knows the details of your life? All right, I want to tell you, so what? That should not affect the way we pray. Because there is something very different about sitting and telling God how we feel, telling God what's happened, speaking to God as though he's in a chair next to us, because 
He is. Expressing our opinions and our hurts. Praying to God about what we experience. Talking to God about how we feel about this situation or that situation. In the message of this week, I wrote a story about a friend of mine who was diagnosed with cancer late last year. He went to the States and was, uh, you know, starting treatment and tests and all that sort of stuff. And keeping, I was keeping up on Facebook. He would give posts and give the details. So I pretty much knew the details. But it wasn't the same as when I rung him. And, and, and we video chatted a lot. And we talked about it. I was so much more powerful. I had so much more insight and I felt so much more connected to him. And I think God feels the same way about us when we pray and talk to him rather than just expecting him to get the status updates from our Facebook feed. Does that make sense? So don't neglect prayer in that way. Don't assume that just because God knows everything is going on, he doesn't want to hear you tell him. Because there's something very powerful and relational about that. Let's pray, everybody, all the time. But, but then also, he says, prayer and petition. Ask God. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Be bold. Ask God. For, tell God what's going on and tell him what you feel about it. But then go ahead and ask him. You have nothing to lose. says so in Scripture. Keep asking. You've never got anything to lose by asking God. Always ask. Always tell. And always be grateful for what he's going to do in your life. And the peace of God, says Paul, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, so having developed gratitude, prayed and presented our petitions to God, Paul says one more thing about the peace of God dwelling in us. Because he doesn't end there. He goes on to the next couple of verses where he says, think. Think. Think big. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received from me or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, Paul is not just being poetic. I mean, he is, but he isn't. Like, his, his aim is not just to be poetic. When he says words like true, pure, lovely, and admirable, you'll see in the other parts of his texts and his letters and writings that he is referring to deep theological truth. What, what other people in the church uh, olden days might have called dogma or doctrine. He's not being... Airy-fairy, he's being, what are the solid and big questions of life? I love the way Tim Keller talks about this. He says, if Paul's instruction in this text is to use big truth in little places. Do you like that? Big truth in little places. He gives an example. Uh, actually, earlier on, just before the text that we read, he describes uh, what seems to be an ongoing conflict between two people in the church at Philippi. Uh, Yodia and Syntyche seem to be in argument, and Paul knows about it because, you know, they're forever at each other's, you know, just griping at each other. Anyone know two people like that? Let's not look at anybody. Just look at them. 
There are always two people, right? Always, in any group of people. There's always... Anyway, so he, he's, he's talking about stuff and he's talking about them. And he says the big truth before he gets to them. He says this. Think. But our citizenship is in heaven. Next slide. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul says, hey, 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 in everything, remember that our citizenship is in heaven. We are waiting for Jesus to come back and when he does, everything will get sorted out and our mundane and earthly existence will be transformed into a heavenly and glorious existence. In every situation, think big. Paul says, always bring the whole of redemptive history to bear. Think about the whole sweep of theology and history. Think about the teaching of God and sin and creation in the world and, and human nature. And think about God's plan for redemption. There's some pretty heavy thoughts, right? Yeah? Funny thing is when you read stress release type stress books, books about relieving stress, they generally say things like go and find a nice quiet place. Go and, go and sit by the beach, right? Yes? Uh, well... In my books, they do, because that's my place. And, and they say, empty your mind. Yeah? Empty your mind. Be mindless. Paul says the opposite. He says, don't do that. He says, go and sit by a beach. Go and look at creation. And consider the big questions of life. Isn't that interesting? Think. Bring the whole history of redemption to bear. Think big and pray big. There is a God who made you. God who made you to work and, and live in this garden of Eden and, and the world in which we live. And the reason he did that is because he likes you. There is a God who made the world in which we live for us to grow and live and develop and experience life and love and relationships for its good and its bad because he likes you. There is a God who suffered and died to ensure that you know God's love and forgiveness. That you know that sin and shame no longer have to control and rule your life and impact your future. Because he loves you. This is what Paul has learned when he learns the secret of peace. Horatio Spafford. I know you, many of you will know the story. It's one of my favorite songs, so I'm going to tell you the story again. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer in Chicago, 18, mid-1800s. And he lost everything in the great Chicago fire of 1871. Two years after that, he, uh, he sent his wife and four daughters on a trip to the UK, to England. 
While in the middle of the Atlantic, their ship hit another, and the four girls were drowned. The wife was brought to, to England and sent a telegram back, saved alone. In the middle of that grief, uh, Horatio gets on, I was going to say get on a plane, he gets on a boat and he heads to England to be with his wife to, to pick her up and bring her home. And it was on that ship he wrote this, these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, this is a response thou hast taught me to say. He's learned this response in the middle of all things to say, it is well with my soul. My soul is centered and stable. But what's interesting about the rest of this is that he goes on to focus on the big things. It's interesting. He, he thinks big. Look what he says. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. No matter what Satan throws at me, no matter what winds and whirlwinds hit my life, no matter what trials come, the one immutable fact is that Jesus, Son of God, shed His blood for you. Even though life sometimes threatened to steal or destroy your soul, you can always be assured that God, no matter what, is loving and compassionate towards you. The rocking instability does not touch Horatio's inner, inner center. His soul. Because nothing can shake the knowledge that Jesus loves.